0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel. We're finishing up the book of Judges today, day 360. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Judges. Thank you for what we've learned. It's been a sobering book, hard to read at times, but it shows us the disastrous consequences of sin and unfaithfulness. We pray that you would be with us and teach us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been thinking about something uh, before we get into Judges 21. um, One of the instances of this sort of thing playing out in church history was, you know, the late medieval Roman Catholic Church became so idolatrous and so immoral and withheld the word of God from the people so that it wasn't taught really anywhere among God's people, that reform was needed. And so Martin Luther and John Calvin and people like that brought reformation. But when that reformation was brought, it also confronted Rome in her corruption and idolatry. And there were wars that broke out. And the wars of religion, there's wars of religion that were fought from 1530s, really, up until uh, the 1640s, so for over a 100 years you had wars of religion that tore apart Europe. And they were the deadliest wars that Europe had ever seen. And they were the deadliest wars that Europe would see until World War I. I mean, millions of people were killed in the wars of religion of the 1500s and 1600s. And secular historians will look back on that and just say, well, you see, religion causes people to fight with one another. But there's more to it than that. It was a pattern of generation after generation Of idolatry and immorality that had that had deeply seeped in to the late medieval Roman Catholic Church. Corruption. You know, this the first of the two Levites we saw at the close, like he's just he's just a gun for hire. He's going for whoever's gonna pay him the most money. That's largely what the church was all about. They were they were loyal to the nobles and to the kings and to those who had lots of money because they were the ones who tithed quite generously. And so you had idolatry, you had immorality, you had corruption. And it led to a disastrous consequence of a a horrible civil war. And that was really how we should look at those wars of religion, the 1500s and 1600s, as a civil war among the people who call upon the name of Jesus, some of whom are corrupt and vile and idolatrous, and others of whom were also misguided in their own ways. But some of them were righteous and wanting to call the church back to repentance. But it led to this incredibly bloody civil war. In many ways, the American Civil War we can also see is another instance of the same thing. You had part of the church that justified chattel slavery, that justified owning and abusing other human beings for their own selfish ends, and there was a call to repent of that, and that call was resisted and led to the bloodiest war in American history. Not that America should be identified with the church, but there was a large uh, Christian underpinning Uh, on both sides in the american civil war and abraham lincoln's second inaugural address which is actually remarkably preserved on the wall of the lincoln memorial is a call to tell us that this is god's justice against a nation for generations of injustice and that injustice comes out of an idolatrous desire to just be selfish um and to serve their own ends. So um, we are going to be getting into now Judges 21. But those things just have come to mind as i have been reflecting on these chapters, these closing chapters of Judges, how we've seen in history of the church, the same pattern uh, come about. So here's Judges chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly of the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives, for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives and they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. And when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones, this is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that is lain with a male you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimen and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive, of the women of Jabesh-Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives, for those who are left? Since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin, and they said there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe be not blotted out from Israel, yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the people of Israel had sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, Behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south to Labona, and they commanded the people of Benjamin as saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his own inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The final verse of Judges really says it all, because even here, we're left with, they're trying to make things right, they're seeking the Lord, they're fasting, but the solution they come up with doesn't seem, it's, I hope it's not satisfying to you. I hope you're not thinking, oh, that's a great solution. It's horrible. It's just, it's just dark and twisted, because when you go so far away from the Lord, and you're so deeply mired in generational patterns of sin. Faithfulness to the Lord, it's just impossible to even see straight. And you end up doing things that are just horrible. To try to make right things that were horrible that came before. And it's just kind of sad and depressing. Like the end of the book of Judges, you're supposed to cry out, let's have a king. Let's have a king. And of course, the king we need is King Jesus. And the church needs to learn to submit graciously to her good and gracious king but we have this situation where you know the the women basically everybody in benjamin's been killed except for the men who were at the rock of Rimmon and they were there for four months there were a few hundred of them and they don't want to see benjamin wiped out as a tribe they want to see them continue to go but they had all taken a vow You can't break a vow to the Lord and just say, well, we feel sorry for you, so we're going to break our vow to the Lord. You can't do that. So what do they do? Well, they decide Jabesh Gilead was a town that didn't didn't respond to the call. They didn't answer the call to send men out to battle. And so they go and destroy that town, and they take 400 virgins from among the population, women who've not lain with a man, and they give them as wives, but they need more, and so they set up this whole thing where there's going to be this celebration at Shiloh, and some of the virgin daughters can go out and dance, and the men from Benjamin can sort of kidnap them, and sort of what's kind of like a stage prearranged. You get the idea that it's not exactly really kidnapping because they're sort of agreeing to just let this happen as a way of giving wives. But this, listen, if you're shocked by the brutality of Judges 21, just know this. This was a regular pattern of warfare in the ancient world. In the ancient world, no matter what the cultural context, for hundreds, thousands of years, really until the Christian era, you had this pattern of warfare where you would go and you would wipe out all the men and all the women who had lain with a man, and you would take all the virgins home as prize for yourself. And I mean, this is described in the Iliad from Homer and in Greek culture from about 1000 BC and you know you have just widespread throughout the ancient world this is how things were done this is culturally normal and it shows us that the the people of god dare not we just should not go after what is culturally normal Um, and I've, i've heard this justification for most of my adult life from professing christians from all across the spectrum of saying, well, this is sort of what's normal. This is sort of the way things are done. And this is sort of what we have to do. And this is sort of the way the world works and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that is not a justification for any believer to sin. To, to, to do things that are grossly immoral or that are a compromise of our convictions or that are a bad witness to our neighbors or whatever. Conformity to the world is disloyalty to Christ. And the Bible could not be even more explicit than that. Romans 12 Therefore, my brothers, I urge you in the view of God's mercies to present your bodies as living sacrifice to God, which is your holy act of worship, your acceptable act of worship. Right? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Romans 12:2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may test and approve what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be transformed to the conform to the world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, Romans twelve two, James 4, 4. Do you not know that your friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jo- uh, 1 John 2, 14 to 16. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, do not come from the Father, but from the world. The world its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God remains forever. The Bible is repeatedly and explicitly clear. We as believers are to follow our King Jesus and not do what is right in our own eyes and certainly not do what is right in the eyes of our culture, whether that's the left-wing culture or the right-wing culture. The world's culture is selfish, self-seeking, power-hungry, pragmatic, manipulative, greedy, and wrong. King Jesus calls us to truth and love, to righteousness and faithfulness, And only when the people of Israel have a king who leads them in righteousness do they begin to live a life that pleases God. And that's what we need to do as the church today. That's been our theme throughout these closing chapters of Judges. I feel like I'm beating a drum, but it's so important that we hear it. We must turn our backs on the world. We must turn our faces to King Jesus. We must be loyal to him and him alone. So if there are things in your life, let me just directly confront you and me. If there are things in your life that are pulling you into a worldly frame of mind and thinking, cable news channels, online news sources, social media, radio, whatever, and it's pulling you into a worldly way of thinking, Selfish, pragmatic, angry, self-righteous, compromising with immorality, justifying, worldliness, whatever it may be, unplug those things and throw them away from you. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. A friendship with the world is enmity toward God. Could I be any clearer about it? I don't think God's word could be any clearer about it. The church in America, to me, smells like judges. Tribalism, worldliness, idolatry and immorality, and we need to repent. May the Lord give us, me, repentance. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you to change our hearts and change our lives. Call us out of the world. Call us to faithfulness to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to be in one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. Like, my life's calling is tomorrow on tap, Second Timothy chapter 4. Hope you can join me for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.